Hello and welcome to Into the Aether. It's still a low-key video game podcast, and my name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. I realized what the recent intros of yours have reminded me of. It reminds me of the David Lynch, It's Friday Once Again. Oh yeah, maybe that's like deeply ingrained in my psyche <laughs> at this point. <laughs> it's Sunday, February 12th, <laughs> and if you can believe it, it's a low-key video game <laughs> podcast once again. That's honestly very good. Thank you. Before we get it's into Fire Emblem once again. <laughs> it's not. It's not. I promise you it's oh, not. We're, sorry, David. We're not talking about Fire Emblem today. So uh, you can put your pitchforks down for all the people who <laughs> are protesting. I, I don't know. I do want to mention, actually, I should probably mention, we are also today recording Ocarina of Time, our bonus yes. episode about that video game uh, today. Might and that it, is yeah. going to be the specter looming over this whole episode for me. Because all <laughs> I want to do, we, we maybe now that we're now that we've hit record, I'm thinking maybe we should have flipped the recordings. Of I was episodes. thinking about that. I think we're still on the right track because once we're done with the Ocarina bonus, the idea of doing another thing after, I think we would be tired. That's probably true. But I yeah. do think you're right that like you and I have actually been very self-restrained and not sometimes we talk too much yeah. in the lead up to an episode and we yeah. have like kind of microwaved the things we want to discuss and it, it's not as fresh as it would have been so i think we're, we're both bursting at the seams to talk about that game which i think we've you know we've also been playing it for longer because we decided earlier that that was going to be this month's bonus so yeah anyway very excited to do that later today yeah that's happening later uh and that episode will be out at some point this month in february of 2023 yeah. so look forward to that um the thing that we did want to talk about today though or at least like the crux of most of this episode is almost just kind of a part two of talking about the Nintendo Direct from last week. So if you missed it last week, we released a normal episode on Wednesday and then Wednesday night, late in the night, deep <laughs> in the twilight of the evening, released mm -hmm. a second episode called Bach.mp3 that was all about uh, that Nintendo Direct, which was great. It was great. Yeah. It, was great. it was a great Nintendo Direct. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I had a great time. And what was wonderful about the Nintendo Direct, uh, as with all of the best ones, is that there were a lot of day and date drops, um, mostly demos, but a couple like full games and then some other stuff. And honestly, you and I have been playing Ocarina of Time pretty much exclusively all week. Uh, but you and I have both had time to dip into all of the stuff that Nintendo released uh, during that Direct. Yeah. So I think that's going to be the crux of today is talking about all of the demos and uh, some of the other stuff. <laughs> I haven't played all the same ones as you and perhaps vice versa. Vice but, versa, uh, yeah. I did download and purchase the Metroid Prime remake, mm -hmm. as well as the demo for Sea of Stars and Octopath Traveler 2, which I have played, which we're going to talk about later. Yeah. So that's all very exciting. Yeah. I almost pre-ordered Advance Wars and I'm like, I can wait. I'm not getting a good benefit from pre-ordering it. One, one actual like unrelated to stuff that was released. Uh, one of the things I've been thinking about a lot and something that I haven't seen a lot of people talking about is the Tears of the Kingdom price increase to $70 is like obviously a hotly discussed topic on the internet. Yeah. Um, you know, which I, th I think rightfully and you and I talked about it a little bit in that episode but specifically just like you would expect that nintendo would do that when there's new hardware it's kind of weird to say like this system is seven years old and now we're going to increase the price of all the games but that second part is actually i think the most important because everyone's very fixated on tears of the kingdom and like is that game gonna be worth 70 dollars for me no brainer like the amount of time that i play breath of the wild <laughs> it's like a fucking no brainer where i start to question it is thinking about other Nintendo first party stuff like is yeah. this just a Tears of the Kingdom thing or is this also like a Pikmin 4 thing and a Metroid Prime 4 thing are they going to make like an arms 2 and charge $70 <laughs> for it you know because 
for me, weirdly, and maybe this is just years of spending $60 on video games, but for me, like the $60 to $70 price increase is the threshold for me to feel comfortable taking a chance on things. Yeah, same. I think the last game I can remember spending 70 on was Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, which was a one of the few like PS5 exclusives that like fully utilized that hardware. And that was like an incredible spectacle and like still is one of the few games that I'm like, oh, this could be the future. Mm-hmm. Um, but even still, I mean, it's like that that was a lot. And I think for a lot of people, that's going to be like the one game they play all year. Yeah. So it's it's just I think especially for Sony now that they're discontinuing their subscription service, like it's an even more limiting business practice where it's like choose the one game that's seventy dollars. Yeah, really. Yeah, so that that Sony thing we haven't talked about on the show at all. But but what they've done is they've they're closing the PlayStation Plus collection, which are like essentially that collection of PS4 games that you get if you subscribe to PS Plus. Um, you still do get the other stuff like you still get that like game pass adjacent offering that they have but you don't get new oh, games that's good. so you're still okay. you're still left in the dark if you want to play like ragnarok or rift apart I or see. horizon 2 or whatever i mean those games are still all 70 dollars, which you know as you and i have talked about i think works to varying degrees of success for playstation studio stuff because it's all kind of homogenous i think in terms of like the gameplay style and structure like they have a very clear artistic direction at playstation studios very much inspired by the last of us and uncharted but for nintendo i don't feel as good about spending 70 dollars on like a wish a hope and a dream that like you know they're i would say like more tertiary ip is going to work out like even even a, a thing like Kirby and the Forgotten Land, if that had released, you know, later this year for $70, I would not be as gung-ho about getting it, like, day and date, you know? Yeah, especially given that Nintendo games almost never go on sale, and when they do, it's, like, a bizarre transaction, like... Like the voucher system they have right now? Yeah. In retrospect, the voucher system is definitely just to kind of placate people who think that the $70 is too much yeah. for, for Tears of the Kingdom, right? Is like... Because that, that applies, technically, to that to that deal, so you could get the two vouchers and spend one of them on Tears of the Kingdom and then wait for the next $70 Nintendo game and then use it on that also? I don't know. I mean, it's hard to know what Nintendo is planning. I would guess... I mean, has there been a consistency in pricing amongst their current first-party games? For the most part, it's all $60. For the most part, okay. all their games are $60, with the weird exception of the Metroid Prime remaster. Yeah, which is $40, which, yeah. is, which is nice. Yeah. I remember there was a lot of debate, too. Around, I think Skyward Sword's remaster was full price. It was. I think yeah. that was also 60 yeah, I mean, it's it's a uh, I think this kind of bleeds into a larger conversation that we've had a couple times on the show where I just think the idea of pricing games this way, it just feels like it's reaching a boiling point where like something has to change yeah. one way or another, like yeah. for both the consumer and the businesses themselves, because like, I mean, like Nintendo, Sony and Xbox have infinite money, but like <laughs> for more mm-hmm. of the third party publishers, maybe smaller. T- I don't know. It just it just feels unsustainable across the board yeah. for a variety of reasons. And yeah. I don't want to say Game Pass is the future because I think that like <laughs> everything being a subscription, I don't want. I, I, I do think there we, we now, especially, you know, post HBO Max, the value of physical media has like quadrupled. Right. Uh, at least just in spirit, um, but I'm sure in price as well. I really regret. I, I used to have this like cursed 
college era binder full of dvds that i no longer have and mm. i'm like man i mean it was probably like south park season four so i'm like i don't need that but like <laughs> you know i i do kind of miss like i have a collection of blu-rays of like movies i really love but i used to have so much backed up and now i don't anymore anyway i'm just saying that like i can't see the 70 dollars being a sustainable future for anyone right so that's that's where i'm coming from yeah especially i, I mean you and i are i think kind of edge cases in this scenario but you know for people like us who have a playstation 5 or an xbox series s or x and the nintendo switch asking for 70 dollars for each individual video game on all of the systems you own is like that's going to greatly limit the amount of stuff that people are buying i think on a on a yearly basis which is a bummer i think um again i happy to do it with tears of the kingdom i think that's a no-brainer that's yeah, like that could be a hundred dollars and like ruin my credit score and i would still get it <laughs> Like for real, uh, I yeah, no no brainer scenario. You get strep for a week, and and uh, you have to live next door to your your high school bully. I would still get it. I think I would still get it too. Yeah, yeah. can I, can I hear them through the wall? I guess is the question. <laughs> like, do I have to see them, or because I'm getting Tears of the Kingdom, I can just hang out inside and play Tears of the Kingdom? You know what I mean? I don't I don't even have to see them really. Maybe it's a bridges the gap and you become friends. Oh, that'd be nice. See, it all worked out in the end. The voucher system is great. <laughs> <laughs> one voucher for me and one for my high school bully. Now we're friends. Now we're the friends. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's very strange, especially like the thing about the $70 price too is like you know there's a whole district of YouTube waiting to point out any graphical shortcoming <laughs> yes. of this game yeah. and be like, you know, fuck Nintendo, why is this that? And like again, like I definitely have the consumers back here but i also think like this is already planting the seed of like a mass effect 3 reception yeah <laughs> which i'm nervous about totally i think i think yeah. you're totally right yeah oh my god i have some stuff to say about that in regards to ocarina of time <laughs> that i can't wait to get to later <laughs> uh, yeah right this is what i'm saying the looming specter of ocarina of time it's a, it's a cloud Ooh. hanging over me yeah uh, at all times today but anyway all that said I, I just i think it's interesting to to extrapolate the 70 dollars out to future releases you know like looking at everything that nintendo announces in nintendo direct now that's like a first party release and thinking like that might cost 70 dollars is going to really actually change my consumer behavior i think not in the way that nintendo wants arms 2 is 70 dollars weirdly feels like the warning that's like the javik dlc it's like no no, no we can't do this right? anymore <laughs> like are, didn't they make our the first arms like free for a day and it still didn't help anything like they were like what if we just like made this free for a yeah, little they, bit they did like i think for nintendo online subscribers you got it for like a weekend or something yeah uh, and then and then there was also a discount on the game I, I played it when it was freely available. It was it was fun enough, but I, I think uh, I am curious if they do do a sequel. I will not get it if it's seventy dollars, but <laughs> I, I, I wonder if there's there's room for iteration there to improve it. I just think like it's a big ass to do motion controls these days. I think we're all still a little bit tired of that era. Yeah, I would I would be interested in a sequel to arms. I think I think that that has the potential to be interesting and i appreciate that they added uh what was her name min min to smash right so yeah they didn't add abe lincoln from codename steam to smash <laughs> you know what i mean we're talking about abandoned stuff from nintendo it was a cool kind of like mesh of like what if nintendo had a street fighter kind of mixed with punch out yeah um so that's a cool idea i would love to see that kind of done again with a little bit more going on but we'll see but maybe just give me more punch out <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, maybe it is more punch out, but not a seventy dollars. Dude, punch out is so good. You want to talk about other stuff? So Nintendo <laughs> released. <laughs> you don't want to talk about the Wii punch out where Donkey Kong blows a kiss at you. Don't fucking bring up the Wii punch out <laughs> and expect me to not talk about it. That game is amazing. I take back what I said about us being over motion controls because the idea of doing the we punch out just made me very excited let's jump into metroid prime remastered <laughs> a game that was announced and released during the most recent nintendo direct which is pretty cool that as we mentioned in in bach.mp3 that has been rumored for a long time and one yeah. of the interesting things i think i think some stuff that's kind of like bubbling up or people are starting to like put the puzzle pieces together is that We've, we've now seen or we've heard at least rumors that Retro Studios has been working on the Metroid Prime remaster for years at this point, like five or six years, somewhere in that vicinity. And initially, when Metroid Prime 4 was announced, it was not Retro Studios working on it. Um, and some people have speculated and now been led to believe that Nintendo being so impressed by the work on the Metroid Prime remaster said, oh, shit, you should be making four. Because uh, four wasn't where they wanted it to be, and et cetera, et cetera, and then they pushed it. Said we're we're moving this over to retro. And honestly, I mean, I I have been playing the Metroid Prime Remaster a little bit. I think we'll probably talk about it more in depth at a later date when you've played more of it, et cetera, et cetera. But I I love Metroid Prime. I have for a long time. I I think those games are great. I I don't think I've played the GameCube one ever, but I did play the Wii trilogy collection that they released, which was like, oh, okay. So you played all three on the Wii. Yeah. With motion controls specifically, which I thought was mm. amazing because the, the Wii mote, I, I feel like wasn't used to great effect as a light gun or in the ways that it probably should have been. I feel like I, we either joked about this on or off the show. I forget, but we were talking about red steel recently and like red steel was a <laughs> launch title for the Nintendo Wii, which is a first person shooter where you had like a gun in one hand and then a katana in the other one. Um, and you would like point at the screen with the gun. And if you wanted to use the katana, you would shake the nunchuck. And that game was not great, but I think proved to a lot of people that that control scheme could work. And the Metroid Prime trilogy on the Wii was like, oh, shit, this is also great. And then nobody else really made first person shooters. I think there was like a spinoff of Call of Duty that released at some point. But I was curious when it came to this remaster on the switch, if they were going to include the motion controls. And I, I asked that question in, in Bach.mv3 and it, and I didn't realize it until I started playing the game, but they do have the motion controls on the switch version and they work oh, like nice. surprisingly well. The interesting thing about the switch version beyond just the fact that they've like obviously remastered it, gone in and changed all the textures. There's like even new like geography in certain situations. Like it really looks like that. This is like one of the more lovingly, done remasters i've ever seen it feels akin awesome. to like a mass effect legendary edition kind of situation where it's like cool no yeah. stone left unturned with that i i haven't noticed anything by way of quality of life improvements or anything in terms of the actual like gameplay but where they are present is in the control scheme so there is the original tank controls if you want to do that from the gamecube i would not recommend that i think if you do that you're gonna be like wow this game hasn't aged well what you should probably do is the twin stick controls which is new for this release um, and weirdly similar to the emulated version of Metroid Prime that exists if you download the Prime Hack version of Dolphin because Prime Hack essentially exists to like you shit in the GameCube ROM and then what it does <laughs> is just like upscales everything, adds modern controls to it, does a bunch of stuff to make that game just like play like a more modern, uh, like a more modern video game. And I feel like the Metroid Prime remaster hasn't like undone the need for Prime Hack, obviously, because two and three still exist. Uh, and Prime Hack is great for those. But for me, 
between the two, having played a little bit of Prime Hack and having played a little bit of this, I think I will prefer this Switch version forever now. Cool. Um, yeah. The twin stick controls are amazing. Like it just it feels so good and says so much about how incredible Metroid Prime is. I think, you know, by modernizing this game in any way at all, it only serves to highlight how incredible it was when it first came out and what like a huge monumental shift it is. Also very much like Ocarina of Time in a lot of ways. But first 3D Metroid, yeah. Yeah. But all of that having been said, I went into the control scheme a little bit and was like, I wonder if anything else is in here and then found the motion controls, which you use, you know, one of the one of the Joy-Cons to look around. And it feels like great, which is weird because I've tried other motion control stuff like that on the switch and usually it doesn't feel very good even like switch sports i have some issues with sometimes like the the joy cons just don't register the way that i want them to i don't know what they've done here with with the metroid prime remastered to make it feel like almost exactly the way it did on the wii but it really it really does this is like i can't believe that this is real i can't believe this exists and if this was any indication of what prime 4 is going to be like i am so fucking stoked the big thing that's like waiting in the wings hypothetically is that apparently and and this is just you know another rumor but it's kind of been stacked alongside the metroid prime remaster for a long time is that they're not going to remaster two and three to the same level of of depth that this first one was, but they are going to re-release them on the Switch with these added control schemes, which I think is a great compromise in that case. Yeah, I'm really excited to play one and two. I, I and and three as well. I've played like the first, I don't know, five to ten hours of three back in high school, but mm. like have very little memory of it. Mm. I remember there was a, like a lizard on a boogie board at one point. That's about <laughs> it. So yeah. Uh, I don't um, remember the lizard on the boogie board, but I'm excited to eventually get to three again. And that might have been a projection. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there are a bunch of like other bounty hunters that you meet early on. They're like, "Hey, what's up? I'm a Capri Sun esque man." Um, <laughs> the the Metroid Prime Remaster also being forty dollars is kind of like a no brainer for me. You know, um, as soon as they announced it, I was like, "I'm getting that. I'm going to play that, and I'm going to have a great time." Yeah. With it. I also feel like the it's available later today almost felt like conceding to the fact that this has been a rumor for years. It yeah. was like, you don't have to wait anymore. It's it's just here now. <laughs> go go get it. It is so interesting. Yeah, the, the, the going rumor has been that this game has been done for about like a year or two at this point. Yeah. Like just waiting to be released, which, you know, I think raises a lot of questions about how many other games Nintendo just has finished and waiting. Yeah, I mean, that was the rumor too for Fire Emblem Engage as well as the Advanced wars reboot too yeah i mean the advance wars reboot from what we know was like almost gonna get sent out to reviewers to get reviewed like right before it got pushed um and the other rumor has been wind waker and twilight princess have been like waiting to be released for a long time i'm just like hoping that that happens this year <laughs> yeah i don't know <laughs> i i wonder if uh i know we talked about that a lot but i wonder if we get the wind waker and Todd princess ports if it's just going to be like ports of the wii u hd remasters or if we're gonna get like new remasters akin to what they did to like skyward sword that would be wild yeah. i don't really know what else they would do because i feel like the wind waker treatment was essentially you could take selfies and they like <laughs> fix the tingle part of it yeah yeah because in the in the original you weren't playing as tingle and now you are playing as tingle <laughs> which is pretty cool link and tingle switch places in the wii u version in the zelda timeline wind tingle is actually an <laughs> offshoot it's it's the only nautical chapter of the hero loses a branch of the timeline it actually ends with wind tingle um <laughs> It would be more fun to play as Tingle in that chapter of the game because you would just be waiting on the island named after you for Link to give you thousands of rubies. <laughs> uh, 
It would essentially be like a, a city management game yeah. as Tingle. I feel like you would receive those thousands of rupees and then it would become a Yakuza game. Like at that point, <laughs> yes. you go to Camarocho and you just like blow it all. Oh, man. On mini games. That's a crossover I need. I need, I need Tingle Kiwami. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. It's kind of weird, too, how like Beetle and Tingle have become Zelda mainstays, you know? Yeah. Like. Tingle was was a bizarre addition to the cast in Majora's Mask, and I always read him as like the flip of the Kokiri, because the Kokiri are kids that never grow up, mm-hmm. and Tingle is a fully grown man who who acts like a kid. Yeah, but now he's just like around forever. Yeah, you you and I have speculated that Beetle represents the empty piece in the Triforce <laughs> <laughs> deals for bargains. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Cur- courage, power, wisdom, and deals. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm wondering <laughs> what Tingle is in that respect because because tingle, tingle does was seem the to shadow be... of the triforce itself yeah oh yeah maybe yeah i just i just yeah. feel like it's it's interesting that beetle and tingle are also reincarnating constantly <laughs> specifically yeah. you know yeah, that, that's that's the biggest question that's very strange but anyway so yeah the metroid yeah, anyway. prime remaster is now available on the nintendo switch i cannot wait to play it i'm really excited i mean this yeah i uh i always have a special place in my heart for the series that i have become a fan of during the show mm. like i entered the show with with extremely little to to know metroid experience and now i've been you know fully onboarded with super metroid fusion dread uh, and i'm really excited to see the prime games they're, they're so radically different in some ways yeah and as as you and i mentioned uh in the last episode but um with the more recent nintendo direct we're almost at the point where every metroid game is on the switch which is really cool uh, yeah so the original is there two is there the super metroid obviously fusion is coming down the line dread and now metroid prime one and hypothetically two three and then eventually four as well um they're all there i wonder if sick. they'll ever be all the zelda games how many are there now currently um a lot <laughs> I don't know if they'll ever feel the need to port Zelda 2, although you can get that on the 3DS currently for like $3. You can. I wonder if they'll do Four Swords Adventures ever. <laughs> oh, I feel like that's the fun. one everybody forgets. Yeah, that came, uh, it was the dual, it was sort of like the Duck Hunt Mario combination, but it was Game Boy Advance. It was the, the port of Link to the Past with Four Swords. Yeah. Capcom had a really cool run of Zelda. I wonder if they'll ever come back for that. I hope they do. That'd be yeah. nice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like we'll never get Link Between Worlds on the Switch, though. Probably not. I don't know. I mean, I would love that. Because, again, with the 3DS kind of fading away, that would be awesome to have and and to have, like, a second win for that game. It's, it's so remarkable still. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. I am excited for the Oracle games, though. I, we should we should get into this. Uh, the Game Boy and Game Boy Advance stuff also released day and date with the Nintendo it Direct. Did. Which is pretty cool. Have you dipped into that at all? Uh, only very little. So I downloaded both of them. I haven't played the Game Boy Advance games yet, but I did dive right into Game Boy because I, I mm. couldn't remember <laughs> Game Boy. Yeah, uh, I, I couldn't gonna, remember exactly. I was going to comment on that and I was like, oh, <laughs> I'll, I'll let him just keep going. <laughs> thank, thank you for not being my high school bully. Um, <laughs> Dude, can I have a voucher? <laughs> <laughs> have you gotten the voucher for the free Game Boy? Um <laughs> Anyway, uh, I, I forgot what games were there, and I, I started playing Super Mario World or no, Super Mario Land Two, uh, the six, the six golden, golden coins. coins right? Yeah, I have very fond memories of that game, but I hadn't played it in forever. Two realizations mm. immediately. I played yeah. the first few levels, had the time of my life. One, I kind of like the green screen. I kind of like the Game Boy, the green DMG vibe. Filter. Yeah, yeah. Okay. 
uh, for games that came out on that system, it is kind of fun to have the option to see the Game Boy screen, but like properly lit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the other thing too, uh, I-, I knew that this game was sort of a precursor to Wario because the next Mario Land game was Wario. Yeah. And then at that point became its own series with Wario 3 and Wario 4. And then Wario kind of pivoted to WarioWare. Although there was that really bizarre Wario game on GameCube that no one talks about. Master of Disguise? <laughs> no, that oh, was, no, that was the, the DS one. Yeah. <laughs> there, were, there was a bad... <laughs> I feel like once WarioWare came out, all the Wario games that followed in the main series were like disasters. <laughs> but that era on early Game Boy was awesome. And it's interesting to play a Mario game that feels way more like a wario game and that's super mario land 2 yeah it's interesting because that i understand why they didn't put super mario land 1 on this collection because that game is rough i actually i I dove into that game recently weird thing i i picked up a retroid pocket 3 recently which i i got for a friend for their birthday and then they were like yeah it's gonna take like five or six weeks to show up because it's shipping from china so i was like okay well that's not gonna make their birthday then uh, and got them a different thing but i was like when the retroid shows up eventually i'll just like use it myself i guess and one of the first games i played because it was after this event was Super Mario Land 1, just because I was curious, like, why wouldn't they put that on there also? It feels like such a no-brainer if you're going to put the second one, put the first one also. And man, they like... That is the perfect example of like, yeah, you can put a Mario game on the Game Boy. (laughs) Sure. That's the game that comes to mind, you know, whenever we talk about handhelds and sort of the pre-Game Boy Color era of handhelds. Yeah. That game and and Diddy Kong Land come to mind where it's like you could tell there were sacrifices made, but the novelty of having this handheld at the time is what made it popular. Right. But yeah, I mean, that, that game is even more archaic than the original Mario like by a pretty it's large margin. Super weird. It is yeah. super weird. I kind of like... I do like the submarine. It's kind of fun. Yes. I, I yeah. Part of me almost like morbidly hopes that they added eventually just so more people can experience <laughs> how strange it is because uh, it, it's not, obviously not easy to get right now. So I, I hope that they added eventually because I think people would love to like at least dive in and see what we're talking about. But I'm glad that they added Super Mario Land 2 because that game is like equally bizarre the whole like six golden coins idea of being able to go into the different lands kind of at your own whim and they all have completely new never seen again enemy types in a mario game um it's in a completely different land it's not even in the mushroom kingdom it's like such a strange video game yeah it feels Um, akin to like mario world 2 where it was like or oh no mario world 2 was yoshi's island Actually, still, like all the yeah. Mario 2s are like dramatically different <laughs> games. Sunshine as well. Yeah. Yeah, wow. yeah the, ga- the Game Boy stuff is, I think, very interesting and very cool. They added, um, if you go into the if you go into the settings in, in the Game Boy stuff, you can switch between the original DMG thing, as you were talking about, like a DMG filter. So it's like the greens, all, all the shades of green. The Game Boy Pocket, which is kind of more monotone, still has a little bit of a green hue, but more monotone. Or a Game Boy Color mode, which I think is really fun because... They just kind of like added color to games that didn't have color initially, which is kind of fun. But one of the cool things that you can do also is uh, turn on this setting called Reproduce Classic Feel, which changes the frame rate of the games to match what it was on the Game Boy. Um, It also adds like like an LCD kind of screen filter. So it adds like the scan lines and the grid lines and stuff, which that's cool. Doesn't work as well on TV, but looks really cool on the switch and handheld mode. Yeah. But specifically also adds back a lot of visual effects that some of the people at Nintendo, like very, I, I would say uh, like genius level moves. Uh, some things like w- one of the examples I saw on Twitter was uh, 
the chain chomp in Link's Awakening, the chain that connects the chain chomp to the post that it's chained to is kind of like phasing because they're essentially creating a, a chain that will phase out every other frame. So it looks transparent when it's moving around. So it kind of has like a kind of shimmering vibe to it. Um, so it's cool that they added that stuff back in. Like when you and I talk about game preservation, like weirdly enough, that's the kind of stuff that I'm thinking of that yeah. like usually gets lost in these conversations, you know, like the actual like the, the fact that there's a little checkbox that literally says reproduce classic feel. So it actually feels like almost exactly like it did on the Game Boy, I think is like a really nice thing for them to have done that they didn't need to do. And I feel like even when you look at how the handling of their N64 library was launched like I feel like they're kind of juxtaposed against one another is like there was the shitty way that they could have done this and there's the cool new way that they've decided to do this yeah I wonder if they took some feedback so the N64 launch felt like the most fumbled of all of these you know like yeah. I mean like not to get too into it but like the port of Ocarina now that you've played the game like it's pretty rough like it's it's it plays fine but the pre-rendered backgrounds are all pretty heavily distorted and like you know again i know that game like the back of my hand so it stands out to me but like i'm also not a stickler for that kind of stuff and it, it also gets in the way for me yeah for the ocarina of time episode i've actually gone and played a little bit of the switch version um and then i also played it emulated on the retroid pocket um to get like kind of more the more one-to-one -one vibe and it is noticeable it is noticeable the difference between the two it's nice yeah. that they've gone in and fixed a lot of like the major issues with the N64 oh, library, which good. is good because um, there were some like really troubling things like huge input lag and like some uh, rendering effects that just didn't work at all. Like in the water temple where Dark Link shows up, like there was no fog. So it would just look like a big empty room <laughs> with a tree in it. <laughs> and they fixed all that stuff, oh, which man. is really great. But there, there still yeah. is kind of like a noticeable difference between emulating it and what they're doing here. That is a game that is going to sell subscriptions to that service you yes. know so it's yeah. like if you're not putting i'm not going to say like no thought into it because i'm sure all of this stuff even if it ends up looking bad it takes a lot of work totally but it, it still just shows like a lack of consideration for like to release it in that state you know alongside like hey you can buy an n64 controller and it's like uh you yeah know? <laughs> yeah it's weird especially coming hot off the heels of our conversation about metroid prime remastered being done for like a year or two it was kind of weird to have the n64 one come out and feel like they just put it together like the week before you know yeah uh, <laughs> kind of strange yeah but uh the Game Boy Advance one is the weirder one for me because that's like the plus expansion pack thing. So like you have to you have to pay extra on the Nintendo online subscription to get that stuff. And at the moment, it's only six games, which I feel like probably should be more like I don't I don't want to. I don't want to yeah. feel like a, a greedy little shit, but like it's weird to open this up and only have six games here and have one of them be Super Mario Brothers three, which is already available via my Nintendo online. Yeah, I again, like I don't want to undercut how excited I was that that stuff is being added there. Like that era to like Game Boy Advance and GameCube is like the least preserved by Nintendo. Yeah. So I'm really happy we're like getting that at all. And the Metroid Prime remaster, like that's wonderful. Yeah. But I also think like Nintendo has to be aware of the competition of retro handhelds at this point. Mm. Like I know it's sort of like sometimes kind of gray legally in terms of emulation and all that. But like it's it's a common enough thing that like a person now will be like, well, do I want to pay Nintendo X per month or do I just want to buy a handheld and have all of those games available to me. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. I feel like it's, it's kind of like if they really, I don't know, like it shouldn't have to be a competition. It's just, I don't know if they're doing enough to prevent people from like going that direction. Is what yeah. I'm trying to say. Yeah. 
I, I think I think I'm with you on that. Um, yeah. The thing about the six games that they released for the Game Boy Advance is like they're good, though, you know, like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think, again, it's one of those situations where if, if you and I hadn't recently played through the whole Game Boy Advance library, I would be so excited to boot up Minish Cap and start that game and play through the whole thing again, you know, for the first time in years. But you and I have recently done that. Also, like for, for people that are maybe not like knowledgeable of that handheld emulator scene like this is incredible and like yeah a lot of people who, who maybe haven't played these games yet are gonna get superstar saga and minish cap which are like life-changingly good yes <laughs> uh so i'm very happy about that one one of my one of my uh low-key favorites which is mario kart super circuit yeah which i feel i feel like doesn't get a lot of love and is in some cases actively hated upon but uh, I, I like that game a lot <laughs> I think it's a better run at the first one, which is, I think, how you pitched it. Yes. The first one is like accidentally Dark Souls, but like <laughs> right. more frustrating. Yeah. But I'm excited. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that this stuff is here. I, I'm excited about the stuff that they said that is coming down the line. Um, yeah, me too. Like getting the Oracle games is going to be great. Getting Metroid Fusion oh on God. here and Kirby Fire and Mirror is going to be cool. Fire Emblem. Golden yeah. Sun. Yeah. Having Golden Sun on here by itself i think is going to do very well for nintendo i think that's going to shut up half of twitter like, i think twitter <laughs> might just no longer there are yeah. going to be no replies now when nintendo because you like nintendo could announce anything like a luigi plushie and someone would be like what about golden sun now like <laughs> that entire part of twitter is just going to peacefully move on i guess yeah well the big thing for me is are they going to also release lost age Right? That's like, true. What about uh, what was the DS one with all the dads? Uh, Dark Dawn. Yeah. <laughs> Dark Dawn. Yeah. Dad Dawn. I'm just curious are, if, if they're going to only release half of that story. Or that's true. Release the that's other half. the new. What about where's Lost Age? Yeah, that's uh, there yeah. it is. It's a new one. My other my other lingering thought is, is Japan going to get Mother 3 on there? <laughs> Talk about shutting up Twitter. Oh, man. I mean, I we'll see what happens. Don't you feel like only Japan is going to get it, though? Probably. (laughs) Uh, It just feels correct. Right. Doesn't that feel like a like a huge Nintendo move? We did get Earthbound, but, you know, Mother 3, I think it has more challenges to to, you know, it it wasn't officially localized. So, yeah, it would make sense if, if only Japan got it. What's been interesting about the Nintendo Online stuff, though, is that each of the systems that they've released, with the exception of the Game Boy and now the Game Boy Advance, each of them has one game that had never been released in the States before that they localized. That's right. Like the first the uh, mother, mother one is mm-hmm. there. Yeah. And uh, I forget what the one on N64 was. Uh, was it sin and punishment? Sin and punishment. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, maybe it's possible. <laughs> I don't want to open. I don't want to open that Pandora's box again, but like there's a world in which that's how they release mother three in the West, which would be completely wild, but maybe in the interim, the fan, translation is incredible yeah it's amazing uh, it's so good. we have a whole episode about mother three it's it's if you haven't played mother three it's definitely worth checking out yeah i um, heard of it the other <laughs> the other thing uh that is kind of like lingering and you and i talked about a little bit is the lack of pokemon and now people are starting to speculate that maybe because pokemon day is happening at the end of the month some people mm. are speculating that maybe that'll be a pokemon day announcement specifically i think we're only gonna get yellow i feel it in my bones <laughs> Just Pokemon Pinball and Pokemon Yellow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be Pinball. <laughs> you called it. Yes, exactly. Which are both great games. I mean, I think uh, Yellow in some ways is an improvement on Red and Blue. I just don't like the mandatory Pikachu. You know, let me have yeah. my guy Bulbasaur. Yeah. Although you can trade, if you, if you have the cartridges, you can trade your Pikachu to a red version and then evolve him. And then he's just gone in Yellow. <laughs> 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 it's one of the cruelest things you can do. Yeah, I would, I would never do that. 
I did it once and I felt too powerful. <laughs> it was like one of the like alchem- alchemists can't do this. It's one of the forbidden things. Yeah. In alchemy. Yeah. <laughs> Making a philosopher's stone. Yeah. And trading your Pikachu with. Yeah. Uh, if you have Nintendo Online Plus Expansion Pack, I would recommend playing Minish Cap and Superstar Saga. Those games are fucking great. Yeah, Minish Cap is is one of the best Zeldas. I'll say it. Yeah, I'm right there with you. At the very least, one of the best looking Zeldas and has some of the coolest items. I love the like weird uh like vacuum you get in that game. Yeah, the pot that shoots air out. Yeah. There's also like a a kind of shout out to Four Swords where like there are a lot of puzzles that involve like making duplicates of yourself mm-hmm. temporarily. Yeah, that game that game's incredible. And uh, it's so really pretty. fun and looks fights. great yeah. on a TV. Like, yeah, this is one of the things that you and I said in the Game Boy Advance episode when we were hoping to God that Nintendo would do this and release this stuff on Nintendo online was like you take a game like Minish Cap and you put it on TV and it looks just as good, if not better, sometimes when you blow it up. Yeah. Yeah. It's remarkable. It's very cool. Yeah, Some of the best pixel art on Game Boy Advance, especially the like those moments where you are transforming from tiny to regular size. And like mm-hmm. you're in like the mushrooms, the, the way the world looks when you're small. Yeah. It's so cool. Ugh, that game is so smart. Yeah, it's incredible. I wonder the thing. Okay. I'm just thinking about the Pokemon <laughs> thing again. But like, if they release, I just, I don't know what they would do if they were to release the Pokemon games. Like, do, do on the Game Boy, for example, do they release gold, silver, and crystal? Or do they just release crystal? You know, do they release Ruby, what? Sapphire, and Emerald? Or is it just Emerald? What if everyone, I, I think in the case of, uh, second gen it would probably be crystal that yeah. way just like cover all bases but i was i just had the idea of what if like half the world gets red and half the world gets blue and you still have to trade you still have to trade online then, yeah it's yeah. like just a toss of the coin who gets what Ooh, trading online that's pretty cool that's what i mean i think like that's it would cool be fun idea. to have online play for uh for gen one yeah interesting just for the novelty of it yeah right yeah that's a cool idea i mean i'm, I'm here all week so. <laughs> okay well, uh, in, in that in that case, though, it, it would probably make the most sense to have yellow. <laughs> I hate that I'm. Well, that was an evil laugh. I got like sick at the end. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's take a break, and then when we come back, we'll talk about all the demos we've been playing. How about that? That sounds good to me. All right. Goodbye then. See you soon, Gary Oak. <laughs> Stephen, can I tell you about the intrusive thought I had earlier? Please. Uh, Share it with me. Last night, I started watching Get Back, that Peter Jackson directed Beatles documentary. Oh, interesting. How is it? It's, I mean, look, obviously, there's a lot of stuff that you could say about the Beatles. Get Back is a really interesting documentary because it's so focused on like the moment the Beatles broke up, you know, and like, you're you're just watching these four people in a room like arguing and their relationship falling apart, you know, and every once in a while, Peter Jackson will like interject with like clips of how great they were at one point, which is weird. But the thing that I couldn't stop thinking about, which is so stupid. This is one of the dumbest things I've ever said on this show. I can't wait. To be clear. I'm on the edge of my seat. I kept thinking to myself, it's so wild that video games didn't exist yet. (laughs) (laughs) I just kept thinking to myself, like, stop arguing. Go play Mario. And it was like, oh, shit, that's not real yet. (laughs) You ever see Gladiator? Nah, no games. They don't don't have video games. No games. (laughs) I love that. That's amazing. 
just like that. I mean, to give to give that thought some merit, I do think it's interesting that we are like games are recent enough of a thing. Yeah, that we could watch like a obviously that was a while ago, but it's like recent enough history where like a medium didn't exist yet. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting, right? Yeah, yeah. it's fascinating. I'm with you. I would have felt the same thing. I'm like Ringo, chill the fuck out, get Ring Fit <laughs> right now. <laughs> Ringo Fit Adventure. There you Ringo go. Ringo Fit Adventure. I would. Uh, I would, yeah, I would, I would pick up that game in a heartbeat, but the idea of like George Harrison pulling out a Game Boy and just playing <laughs> Super Mario Land and being like, oh, it's cool. They did it. I don't know if they should have, though. <laughs> <laughs> the novelty of handheld. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Anyway, you want to talk about demos? <laughs> yeah, I would love to talk about demos. Actually, speaking of, of the past, do you think demo discs could ever come back and no. like sort of it? <laughs> Sorry, do you want to finish the sentence before I say no? Or <laughs> Have you ever taken <laughs> such an opposite approach to yes and that it became high art? <laughs> Just said no during a friend's sentence. <laughs> this could be a fun conversation. <laughs> No, not even like a passionate no, just like a swift dagger through the chest. I'm just thinking discs don't even exist anymore. I guess, yeah, maybe disc was... <laughs> I shouldn't have gone on Shark Tank with, with disc technology. <laughs> I, uh, I just, I was thinking of like, of like limited edition <laughs> physical releases and like yeah. fan-made instruction booklets and strategy guides. And I'm like, I wonder if there's a way to have like a purposeful collection of demos in a fun delivery. Yeah. Like there used to be like PS one demo discs where there would be like a landing page of games and all that. But I'm just like, it, I just wonder if there's a version of that that could be relevant at all today or like fun other than just like events like this where a bunch of demos are announced and you can download them. I'm, I was just thinking about on that. the worst eShop nintendo has ever put on a console yeah it's amazing how much the nintendo eShop feels like using netscape when internet explorer had already come out you yeah know? yeah it's it's dial up adjacent for sure it's wild uh, it also like yeah. the, the the switch is like giving all its might to just like search zelda <laughs> like the this the switch chugs and burns if you just search the name zelda in the e-store <laughs> there's only like four results and yeah, it's like it's, oh! Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't Here, know what to do. Yeah. I found these. <laughs> did you want Hyrule Warriors? <laughs> now, when you said recently released, did you mean every game? <laughs> Here you go. Yeah, oh. yeah. Every single game on the eShop sorted for most recent. Yeah. Oh my god. Your choices are like here are the eight games we've decided to feature, and here's everything. I will say this if you Dear listener, like me, hate using the Nintendo Switch eShop. Uh, you can very easily just do it from a web browser or your phone. And it will also, when you purchase a video game, download it to your Switch automatically. Uh, so you never have to visit the eShop ever again. So <laughs> just, just a heads up on that. Uh, also, but, if you buy something that's on your wish list, it's not taken off. Is that true? Really? Yeah. Your wish list just stays the same. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which just, that just feels like the death rattle of a oh bad eStore. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Also, to find your wish list, it's like 
You have to use, use like touch controls to find it. Like weirdly <laughs> out of the way. Yeah, you have to tap on your own profile icon and then wish list, right? Yeah, something like that. So anyway, there's a bunch of demos that got released yes. on the Nintendo Switch. You and I have been playing them. I guess the first one that I could get out of the way very quickly is Kirby's Return to Dreamland, which is Ooh. that port of the Nintendo Wii video game. Um, and they've added a bunch of stuff to the game, uh, which I don't know if it's actually available in the demo, but they, they added the Magalore mode or Magalore's adventure or whatever it is. Magalore is a character from that game. And what they're doing with that character in that port is a very cool idea, but I did not get to play it. Um, but what they're, what they're doing is essentially you have uh, this character named Magalore. And as you continue to make your way through different levels in, in this game, uh, you get skill points that you can add that kind of give Magalore like Kirby adjacent power ups, which is fun. Mm. But you can invest all these. It's kind of like an RPGification of Kirby, which is a fun, fun yeah. conceit. What they have in the demo is like very classic, like do the first couple levels. And then also you can go visit the amusement park, which is like full of mini games. And it's it's fucking good, man. It's interesting to play, I think, in relation to Forgotten Land, because that game it's almost like playing three houses and then going back to an earlier fire emblem. It's like, sure. Oh yeah. yeah. You know, these games are cool, but I've seen the future, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to go back and play a side scrolling Kirby game after playing forgotten land and it still works and is very cool. And I, I have not played that game. That's like one of the Kirby games I haven't played, but some of the stuff that they do with, with that game is very fun. So they, they, I, I would say most notably, if you're talking about like, what's the big Nintendo hook that got that game greenlit, if I was to guess outside of the fact that it's four player co-op, which is obviously very cool is you can get like mega versions of all the powers so every once in a while instead of just like a normal sword guy showing up it'll be like a sword guy that's glowing and if you inhale him and take his power you get a sword that's like the size of the whole screen it's kind of like new super mario brothers where you get the mega mushroom and you like become mario the size of the whole top screen of the ds (laughs) um it's very similar to that but with kirby powers uh, so whatever power you have just kind of like takes up the whole screen will destroy everything uh, and you can use it to kind of like destroy pieces of the environment as well um, for like puzzle solving abilities, which is a cool idea. I I mean, it's good. It's Kirby. It feels very akin to the classic Kirby games. And uh, honestly, that's enough for me to want to pick it up. Um, and oh, then yeah. all the additional stuff is great. Um, I will say uh the mini games all require motion controls and i was playing with the pro controller so i didn't feel like trying them so i haven't yet yeah i forgot that the pro controller also has motion controls in it it does it's weird yeah it's it's really weird i they work better with the joy cons because they're sort of like wiimote-esque yeah i remember trying to use the pro controller um for super mario odyssey and yeah, me too. real hit and miss experience because sometimes yeah. it worked great and sometimes it was really strange because you had to like kind of shake it left and right to throw the hat and that didn't always register or work the way you wanted it to. Yeah, I remember using it for uh, it was Galaxy also let you do it. and Galaxy's motion controls are weird because it's like it's just the cursor for mm-hmm. like the Luma. And like collecting the sprites and yeah, stuff. Yeah, you don't like really need it, but like you still like you can't not have it. It's it's like a strange like they couldn't have gotten rid of it, but it doesn't really help the game at all. Yeah. I eventually switched to Joy Cons and had a great time. Yeah, yeah, same. And and then there's the Skyward Sword port, which is kind of the worst of all worlds, where it's like <laughs> the motion controls are pretty rough. And then also the button controls are pretty rough. The thing about Skyward Sword is like that in, in the case of that game, it was built from the ground up to have one to one with the sword. And I think yeah. that was just a bad idea like i actually don't i don't think skyward sword is a bad game my my take on it which i've shared before is like if that wasn't a zelda game that would be a quirky cult hit from the wii that everyone wants to be brought back but like it definitely suffered from the reliance on motion controls um and i don't really think there's a way to save that but yeah uh, 
Yeah. So that's Kirby's Return to Dreamland. <laughs> uh, the other one that I played uh, before we get into the one that you checked out is Sea of Stars. Yeah, um, I'm very curious about this one. Yeah, it's it's kind of been a long time coming game uh, inspired by Chrono Trigger very, very overtly. I think they've even said that in a lot of the marketing material. One of those games that just been in Nintendo Direct after Nintendo Direct and eventually will come out later this year, thankfully. I think in August, they said. Yeah. Um, but they have a demo on the eShop right now, which is kind of a vertical slice of the game. It's not one of those, like, you can start the game and then carry your progress over. It's like very, uh, it's a deliberate choice by the developing team to show you one thing that the game is doing and it's good it's really good i the thing that i said i made a video about this for youtube but the thing i said in that youtube video was something to the effect of like i was excited about sea of stars and chained echoes kind of like dropping out of nowhere for me took a little bit of the wind out of the sails of sea of stars for me like i was really looking forward to that game but chained echoes was like that just did a lot of the stuff the sea of stars wants to do very very well and that doesn't mean the sea of stars is going to be bad doesn't mean i'm not excited about it but it was like the thing that I was hoping for, I got already. So Sea of Stars is kind of like a cherry on top of the Chained Echo situation for me. And Sea of Stars has a lot going for it. I definitely fucked up in that demo because I did not read the how to play uh, <laughs> stuff because I just assumed that it was going to be like Chrono Trigger, right? Like I just assumed that I, I have played a JRPG with turn-based combat before. Like I know what I'm doing. There's a lot of mechanical stuff in that demo that is not explained because it's you know just again a vertical slice uh, and there's really no tutorialization so highly recommend if you play that demo read the how to play stuff because what they're doing in combat is actually really cool it's really interesting the main thing i would say that that sets it apart that i didn't realize for the longest time until until i eventually read that how to play thing is that it has kind of like mario and luigi or paper mario timing stuff built into it that's what i've heard yeah. or uh like eichenfell um which is another game you know i love that had that stuff yeah and that by itself i think is cool and interesting so you can use it to obviously power up your attacks or also uh take less damage when you get hit if you time all your button presses correctly but on top of that you can switch to any character at any time so oh, in wow. combat you have your three party members and as long as they haven't gone in this like turn cycle you can switch to them in any order um which is cool by itself right just because of the synergy between the three party members that they give you in in this demo um but on top of that the enemies have this really interesting thing which reminds me a little bit of octopath which we're gonna talk about later it reminds me a little bit of octopath but every turn every once in a while an enemy will be powering up like a bigger attack and when they do that, you'll see kind of like a roulette wheel that'll have a couple of icons on it that'll have like a sword or a boomerang or like a sun or like a moon symbol. Um, and those those uh, denote different kinds of attacks that your party members can do. And if you can hit that enemy with those kinds of uh, with those kinds of attacks, whatever rolls up in that roulette wheel, it'll cancel their attack out and kill them immediately. Oh, wow. And if you can't remove them all if you can't hit them with all of those attacks but you can hit them with like one or two it'll power down that big move that they're doing um so you're kind of you're kind of encouraged to like at least try even if you don't have you know if, if you know for a fact that you can't do it you should at least like hit them once or twice with that thing that showed up in the roulette wheel just to like make sure you're you don't die because i found that the game is actually harder than i was expecting like it is it is pretty difficult um and on top of that the way that, that video ends on youtube is like i just didn't save because i assumed there was auto saving and there wasn't <laughs> so it kicks me back to the beginning of the demo it was like oh okay well i guess not but uh, I've, I've since jumped in and i've like finished the demo at this point um and it's like tough it's it's much harder than i was expecting i'm looking forward to this game i think i think it's gonna be cool it's beautiful it is yeah shocking it looks incredible how pretty 
that art is. And then obviously you have the Mitsuda soundtrack. Um, he's one of the guest composers. He, he did Chrono Trigger and Cross and Xenoblade Chronicles 3 most recently. Um, he's a guest composer, so he doesn't do all the music, but you can like tell the tracks that he did because they're yeah. stunning. Why am I crying and also ascending? Yeah. yeah, I'm interested in it. I think because you haven't played much Chained Echoes, if you still don't play much Chained Echoes before Sea of Stars comes out, I think that this will be one of your favorite games of the year. <laughs> you know my taste fairly well do you think i'll like one more than the other not to pit them against each other but i'm just curious since they've come out around the same time and they're going after similar vibes i yeah i think the the big thing i, I think this is going to be the big like the big difference between you and me this is the big line in the sand is i think the vibe of sea of stars i mean it says it in the name is very nautical um but <laughs> so that that has it has that going for it for you but also i think the characters and the writing are a lot more like irreverent and goofier and kind of a little bit more endearing and i think you will appreciate that a yeah, lot more I think so chained echoes i think was striking to me specifically because it's taking a lot of tropes and ideas from those kinds of games and kind of flipping them or drilling into them a lot deeper than i've seen any other game like that go it raises a lot of really interesting questions about these like these like fantasy game uh worlds that you kind of end up trekking around and like the politics of like going into and out of cities and things like that which i i find really interesting um and i think pay off and are like great storytelling moments um sea of stars seems like a little bit breezier of an experience even though it's a little bit more difficult i think combat wise so i think i think they're both going after very different things again like not to pit them against each other i think i think they're both like really cool games and i'm excited about both of them i i, yeah. I still love chained echoes but i'm still excited for sea of stars to come out i actually had this conversation when i streamed the octopath 2 demo which we'll talk about in a bit i kept kind of using the term retro rpg to describe all these kinds of games yeah and someone in chat was like can we even really say it's retro anymore and that kind of made me realize like i do wonder if a new not that we need a name for every type of game, but I do wonder if it's kind of like a Metroidvania scenario where like at this point, I don't know if you can say Metroidvanias are retro because like we've seen the genre grow and evolve. Yeah. And I think we're at a point where like, I think if you're saying our influence was Chrono Trigger, it's inherently retro. But I do wonder if like the frequency of these games coming out and like the number of them we already have this year. Yeah. And the, and the fact that they're all going after very different things. I do wonder if like simply saying retro is almost a disservice because they're all like very new and fresh ideas. Yeah, I think you're probably right. You know, I, I as we talked about in the Metroidvania bonus, I think that word and that genre descriptor is helpful to just have like a nomenclature to talk about that genre yeah. and i think you're right like when i think of metroidvanias i don't think of retro anymore i think of like just that genre and what it's ballooned and blossomed into and there probably is something to be said about like maybe there should be a new way of describing these kinds of games as they continue to pop up and get more prevalent especially considering you not only have indies like these teams making them but companies like square enix looking backwards and saying like we can just keep making that stuff if we want yeah i mean it reminds me a lot of you know with zelda it's clear that there's a track for the 3d mainline games but they're still releasing stuff like the Link's Awakening remake, mm. which, you know, inherently nostalgic there. But I think like the influence of top down Zelda we see everywhere. Yeah. And that's also a case where like it's not inherently retro anymore. It's just another design tool. Yeah. I think at this point we had this conversation with 8-Bit Adventures 2 last week mm, where right. like that game is, I think, also kind of similar to Sea of Stars, where they're just like really in awe of those types of games. It kind of sounds like 8-Bit Adventures 2 might be in the middle where like, if Sea of Stars is like breezy fun love it and chain echoes is more of a 
critique almost. Mm. I think 8-Bit Adventures 2 is kind of in the middle because there's some something going on, you know, self-awareness wise with the computer and all that. But like, yeah, it's also setting up more of an FF5 kind of vibe. I don't know, it's cool that like we can get three games and it's not it's not a case where it feels like the inspiration is shallow, you know, not to right. continue to dunk on like Lost Sphere, which, you know, those games are, are totally fine. You can look at the Tokyo RPG stuff and see that maybe the the homage is a little bit more surface level. And that I mean, to be fair to those games, those came out at a time when there wasn't this surplus of games like it. Yeah. So I think yeah. it, even when Octopath One came out, like 2018, which I can't believe is four and a half, five years ago, but even Octopath One coming out was at a time where like I think there were a lot of eyes on that game because it was it looked the way it did and, and it yeah. was square i think it was the first time square was purposely looking back since like bravely default which i think that was like the first big one of like we're gonna make a purposely retro square game i i would go as far as arguing that i think octopath travelers release was kind of one of the death knells of tokyo rpg factory internally yeah. at square enix because yeah I, even even in my experience playing through the tokyo rpg factory stuff last year a lot of the research that i did into the ways in which people were talking about their games at the time that they were releasing was this is cool but i can't wait for octopath Octopath Traveler to come out. Um, and then when that happened, when Octopath Traveler came out, if you go back and look at like forum threads and Reddit and Twitter and whatever, and like see the discourse and the conversation happening around Octopath's release in the forums that were talking about games like Lost Sphere and I Am Setsuna, a lot of them were like, do I get this game or do I get Octopath? And nine times out of 10, everyone would say Octopath. Um, so I, I think I think there has been an appetite for this kind of retro inspired RPG for a long time. Um, and it's interesting to see, like, not only has Square Enix kind of jumped on board, but I think the people actually paving the way forward for that are indies right now. Yeah. As is usually the case, right? Because like, you know, right. totally un <laughs> unbound creativity. You can do whatever you want because you're not you know beholden to investors. I just even though we're still hearing like I, I am inspired by Chrono Trigger, which like good if there's if there's one game to be inspired by, that's a good <laughs> one to pick. But I also think the success of these types of games to me isn't tethered to you grew up with them like i think I, i'm seeing mm -hmm. people kind of seek these style of games out that maybe don't have that nostalgic attachment to chrono trigger or older final fantasies yeah it's cool to see that because that to me opens more doors for what these types of games can do versus just being pure nostalgia yeah yeah i'm with you uh yeah that feels like a good lead into Octopath 2, which you've yeah. been playing. Yeah, so I streamed the Octopath 2 demo uh, not too long ago, and uh, it's on our YouTube as well. I, I, the demo is the first three hours which is interesting. And that's like whatever you can get done in those three hours is what you can do, right? It's also pretty generous. So I would say overall that roughly gives you time to do three chapters. Mm -hmm. But if you're like, so I hit the three hour mark at the end of a chapter right before a big boss battle. And it not only let me keep playing, I was able to finish the boss battle, see the cutscenes after that. And it wasn't until I left the town I was in that it gave me the thanks for playing. So oh, cool. it's like it's like three hours, but they let you finish whatever you're in the middle of, which I think is a really nice uh, it's a nice touch because that way it's not like I'm gearing up for a boss fight. And then thanks for playing. Do you want to buy the whole thing? Because it comes out like pretty <laughs> soon. I think it comes out at the end of the month, yeah. um, which is probably why Square has been uh, they've been fond of the 10 hour demo. 
But I feel like with some games, like Dragon Quest XI, if you're 10 hours into Dragon Quest XI, your life has changed for the better and you're going to get it. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> but other games, like 10 hours might be enough where you're like, I liked this, but I don't know if I want to play more of it. So I'm like, good. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I feel like on to go down the Dragon Quest route, I, I think Builders 1 and 2 is very much that way. Yeah. Where like that, that's about as much as I, I played about five hours of Builders 1, talked about it on the show, bought the full game, kept playing it and made it to about 10 hours before I put it down. Yeah. Yeah. Like I could have just played the demo. Right. <laughs> so I think Octopath, they probably like learned their lesson. Like, well, let's give people three hours of Octopath too, because this <laughs> might be, uh, you know, but uh, so that gave me three chapters. And basically what that, what that means for most is that you'll see the first chapter of two character story, potentially three. The mm-hmm. thing for me is that the character I chose is a little bit different in that you have to play his first two chapters back to back. Um, I chose mm. Oswald V. Vonstein, I believe his name is. And he is like a Count of Monte Cristo prisoner. So like he has a muzzle and is like in prison for the first two chapters. So like I have no idea how the rest of this cast are just going to stumble into Oswald. I'm very <laughs> curious to see how that plays out. Um, but for those who don't know, Octopath Traveler 1, I guess, which is a funny title in retrospect. Uh, Octopath 1, that was our first the first game we talked about on this show, uh, we we had a few test episodes leading up to it, but our first like, OK, we feel like we're ready to do the show. This feels like a good format was Octopath 1. So I've, this game means a lot to me, if only for that. And I think we, we've talked a lot about Octopath Traveler. I think it's a really interesting game. One, I think it really did help popularize the like 2D HD or 2.5 HD like look mm-hmm. and I also think that the soundtrack and like the mechanics of the battle system are incredible. It's like if you want a game that you can kind of just turn your brain off and like see numbers go up and experiment <laughs> with character classes, like it really does do what I think Bravely Default was. I don't want to say trying to do because Bravely Default does it well and it does it in a different way. But I think like those that branch of RPGs that were inspired by the job system and FF5 and tactics, I, I prefer personally the Octopath approach to Bravely Default. Yeah, me too. The thing about Octopath 1 is that it just asked a little bit too much of you. I think a lot of people feel this way about Octopath 1. The two big things for me were that the cast never really meaningfully interacted, which on top of the the story kind of being underwhelming, I think that was the biggest flaw because it's like you there's this whole ceremony about like there are these eight characters and you get to choose who the main character is. Mm-hmm. And then when you do that, you eventually meet the other characters and they join your party, but there's never like in D and D you need that. Why are we a party moment? It yeah. doesn't have to be a big deal, but you just need a recognition that these characters are traveling together and there never really was that. And then like, there is some interaction, like yeah, the most you get are these like weird kind of uh, almost theatrical moments where it's just the two characters standing under spotlights and they'll like say, uh, what feels like maybe, uh, animal crossing level <laughs> dialogue back and forth to one another, like one line each for each of them. Honestly, what the, Weirdly, the game uh, that is most reminiscent of it are the the bond supports in Fire Emblem Engage. When you talk to <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> when you talk to the yes. old Fire Emblem characters in stuck in the rings um, in Fire Emblem Engage, the like one sentence back and forth that you get uh, is very much what you're getting. It's even weirder if there was just nothing, because at least if there was nothing, you could be OK. I am the writer here. Yeah. But like 20 hours in getting like a scene between Tressa and Primrose. And the thing I, I, that one stood out to me because 
Primrose is who I chose as my main character, and her story is extremely dark. Yeah, like, right. maybe almost too much for a game that is like mostly lighthearted, and then there's like a story about human trafficking just right. thrown into the mix. And her whole quest is about revenge. And Tressa is essentially like very Kiki's delivery service, just like sort of bright eyed young girl who wants to see the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so they just team up without a word, <laughs> which is already kind of strange. And then they have a vignette together where Primrose is like, we have to help this sad boy we met in town. And I'm like, I'm not a stickler for details, but like why on earth would Primrose care about this? Like she has like one goal. Yeah. Her whole story is about revenge. It just, it felt really at odds with itself on top of the fact that like, there was no auto leveling for characters that weren't in your party. So once you've like seen everyone's first chapter, the game then kind of blossoms and then there's the chapter twos. Then you also unlock different classes and you can mix and match. And that part of it is really fun. But like at that point, you probably have chosen like who your favorites are Mm -hmm. and whose story you want to see. But the fact that you have to see everyone's and the fact that like you have to grind to make sure the characters you're not using are at the required level to see the next beat of a story you already don't care about. Like that's where I fell off. Yeah. One of of the interesting things, too, that I feel like was a good idea in theory and i don't know how well it panned out and i'm I'm actually curious to ask if octopath 2 does the same thing i think it does but the interesting thing about octopath 1 or at least the eight characters is that there would be four characters who are just like very straight up like jrpg trope characters right so you had like the knight the the mage the whatever um yeah, the thief etc yeah and in the, the i guess the other half of that game the the four other characters were kind of like interesting twists on those yeah four it was dancer merchant beastmaster and apothecary right so they were kind of like cool swerves of the four main kinds of characters that you usually have in jrpg parties um and that was even representative in the actions that they could do outside of combat so for example like if you were the the thief you could obviously like try and steal from npcs in towns and from and from you know just like random people that you found all over the place uh but if you were tressa the merchant you could haggle for things you could like buy things off of them instead uh, and not try and steal them which is like a cool idea and yeah. I, I appreciated that like everyone was interactable in that way my favorite was uh primrose the dancer would just dance for someone and they'd be like wow i'm in love i'll fight for you and you just yes. have like a summon that would follow you around basically yeah and I, I forget what the what the flip of that was do you remember what that was it was the cleric she would like inspire people to join your cause basically Right, right, so right. So it was like a, a platonic version of just like the, the shallow, like, I think oh, you wow. had to pay. F- I think you had to pay them also, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, something um, like that. So they had that, which I, I think was like a cool idea. But what that really meant by, at the end of the day was like, I was just kind of more interested in the more interesting characters and their more interesting class quirks, which meant that the four people that I neglected were the four like just, you know, copy paste kind of classes that I've seen and used before in other JRPGs. What's interesting, though, is that eventually you could like combine them. The so like that's where. Yeah. yeah. So that's where like you could do some really creative stuff. Like I had my scholar temporarily be a dancer to get a passive ability that regenerated mp every turn mm-hmm. and then i switched his class to cleric so then all of a sudden like he kept that dancer ability but just had access to all magic so like right. that stuff was really fun but i agree with you i think like it was more and those characters too if i remember correctly had more interesting stories as well mm-hmm. so it's just like why am i why would i care about like the knight <laughs> Anyway, so Octopath 2, I've I've played, I've seen Oswald's two chapters and the first chapter for The Thief. Yeah. I will say this about Octopath 2. It, it's 
pretty much better across the board for all the things that Octopath 1 did well. I think Octopath 2 is doing even better. So like mm. the the look of the 2.5 HD I think is is more fully realized. Sometimes like That's cool. It looked cool in Octopath 1, but it was a little bit hit or miss in some places and like some environments were like hard to just visually parse cuz there would be like too much light or like it would just every now and then it like kind of mixed and matched. Here I really feel like all the dungeons especially feel like fully realized spaces. And it just like works better. And then when you're on the world map, it's like hard not to get like this feeling of awe and want to explore and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. The combat is awesome. It's, I mean, the combat in Octopath 1 was awesome. I forgot how much I liked it. it. It's kind of a best of all worlds of like every popular turn-based combat game. So like you have a little bit of persona where I would say the main strategy is you'll see an enemy and you'll see a number on a shield and you essentially have to find out what the enemy is weak to. And if you hit them with an attack they're weak to that many times, it will break their guard, which will dramatically reduce their defense and you can do more damage and also if you time it right when you break their guard they lose their turn for that round Mm -hmm. so like there's a lot of strategies there and you also have in addition to the sort of the standard like attack spells items defend uh you have the bravely default system where every turn a character is getting what's called a boost and you can use up to four boosts, which will allow your character to either do an action multiple times or do a more powerful version of one action. So like for attacks, you'll do an attack multiple times. For spells, you'll do like a big yeah. dramatic version of that spell. So often what I'll do is like, I'll, okay, if this enemy is weak to daggers, for my thief character, I'm going to attack four times the dagger to break their guard, then get in a big spell while mm-hmm. their guard is dropped. That's like so much fun. And and just the the way the enemies are designed is, is awesome. Like I love, uh, this is something that the first game did well too, where like they'll usually be like a big bad for every chapter that's kind of set up. And then, you know, they're just like a Final Fantasy sprite. But then when you're in battle, they're this like giant monster or like opposing foe. And I love seeing so cool. how that's interpreted. Yeah. So pretty much like that, all that stuff was in the first one and it's here as well. Also, the eight characters are the same classes. So like, oh, interesting. It's scholar, whatever. But what they've done this time is they've dramatically changed the vibe of the character and also what their abilities are. Hmm. So Oswald the Vonstein, the sort of like, Jean Valjean Monte Cristo character is a scholar, but his abilities are mugging people. Um, so like he all of a sudden has like a much darker yeah. vibe as the scholar and is sort of this like man who's been wronged that is driven by revenge. And like there seems to be like uh, he's not quite as like I'm focused solely on this as Primrose was like there. There's already this setup that like maybe he could warm up a bit and find his own humanity again. Mm. But like that's the scholar. And this time the dancer is like much more of the lighthearted character. Mm. So like I-, I haven't played as her yet but I read all the bios and the dancer is very much the like Miyazaki heroine type character this time. Cool. Yeah. So they've also added like a day and night thing. So all the characters have different abilities that involve townspeople, whether it's the day or the night, which Uh, you can just change with the button, which is really cool. That's fascinating. There's also like passive combat abilities. So the thief character Throne, she just makes your party do more damage if it's nighttime which is really fascinating. Wow. I wonder if the enemies are going to have that kind of ability too. What's yeah. fun too is like you just hit ZR and it changes the time of day. It will also change like who's in the room and also the music, which like the score this time is somehow even better. 
And <laughs> there's a lot of variety too, because it's kind of a different time period. Like I just went to an area where it has sort of like a Al Capone Chicago energy to it. Yeah, that was honestly one of the things about the first trailer that was most interesting to me was it seemed like they were pushing more into the like industrial era in the same yeah. world, which is a, a cool is a, it's a cool swerve. Reminds me a little bit of uh like Avatar the Last Airbender versus the Legend of Korra. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. Um definitely like a Korra type setting. So the combat's great. The new additions are cool. I'm not like I, I do find that all the abilities relating to townspeople is a little bit weird because like it kind of makes townspeople feel like expendable items. Yeah. But it, it doesn't get in the way for me. It's just like, oh, wow, they like really went all out. Like so Oswald's two abilities are at night he can mug and at day he can like kind of just read a person and like get their backstory. Mm. And everyone has a backstory and they're all like weirdly wow. intricate. Like this man, you know, was always unassuming, then learned like the the lull of like what being being in, in a position of authority does to him and now like that appeases him more than any drink does and it's like <laughs> this is so scary uh, and it's like just a guard that has one line yeah that's like i can take or leave i think the combat additions are really interesting the other big addition is that everyone has sort of a limit break now where they all have like a unique ability that is kind of their ultimate but it's not a singular move it just sort of changes how they play so oswald's move is that for one turn he can an ability that would normally attack all enemies like a spell he can have attack one enemy but it does extra damage so he can suddenly just change how his spell works mm. throne the thief i think her move i i would be impressed if there's a ability better than this she gets an additional turn and that includes boosting so you can basically like go four times then get a whole other turn whoa and it's just incredible and it kind of it totally matches her vibe as a thief and you know she's like uh her story is she works for this like underground guild of assassins that are like controlling this city and she wants her freedom and uh, yeah I'm on board. I will say the story is like, it's definitely hammy. It's definitely a little melodramatic, but both Oswald and Throne's stories are better than anything in Octopath 1. Like, mm. they're not blowing me away, and I don't really need them to blow me away. I just need to, like, have a you variety. You need to feel more. Yeah, I need to feel more, yeah. and I, I know exactly what Throne and Oswald are working towards. And even better, as Oswald, there were two guys picking on a dog, and I fought them. And then Throne came over, and she was like, oh, like, nice work. Like, hey, I'm, this is, like, my quest right now. Like, do you want to adventure together? Mm. And I'm like, that is all we needed. Yeah. We just needed, like, that one online and there's also some fun like looking cool joker-esque battle dialogue where like your party will comment on what the other is doing so they'll be like nice one professor which is great so That's nice it seems like the, that feedback has been taken i don't know if it's gonna to evolve to anything more meaningful than that but that's kind of all i needed just to sort of like clear the elephant in the room like yeah and what's interesting too is when i got thrown at it basically the game was like do you want to see her first chapter like all experience and items will be carried over or you can say no but anytime you want you can see her first chapter at a tavern and yeah. like relive that they did that so. in the first game which i really appreciated because I, I revisited the first game um last summer i want to say I, I played it for like another 10 15 hours or something like that and it was nice to be able to skip the ones that i remembered like one-to-one -one, you know <laughs> um yeah the one thing about this game that's kind of like lingering for me i i'm glad that you're enjoying it and i'm probably also going to enjoy it but i i wish that they would take it a step further because the thing that i have in my head is essentially mass effect 
you know, like, yeah. <laughs> like if you right. could, if you can do it in Mass Effect, you can do it in Octopath Traveler. But, you know, maybe 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 the third one. So far, I think it's basically better in every way. Yeah. But I still don't know if it's enough to fundamentally like rectify the issues we brought up. But I, I, I'm, I'm really impressed by it. I was honestly kind of ready to write it off, like in a world where we have Sea of Stars and Shane Deco's and 8-Bit Adventures 2. I was like, do I really want to do Octopath again? Like, I, I enjoyed it for what it was worth at the time, but like, can they really fix, like, especially after playing Triangle Strategy and that game having similar issues where like there's some really great things about it and a lot that gets in the way of what's great about it. Mm-hmm. I was like, do I want to do that again? Yeah. And so far it feels like at the very least, nothing about it currently is getting in the way. It's just a matter of like if they can keep this up or elevate it at all. Yeah. So I, I I would recommend checking out the demo if you're curious. And uh, I'm very curious like what the other characters are like, because, you know, there are there are six more. There's definitely a chance for there to be a stinker amongst them. <laughs> uh, but even just like yeah. reading their bios, I was like at least intrigued by everybody. Mm. Like, I think the cast here seems much richer than the first game. Yeah, I um, I, ha- I haven't had time to play the demo yet. I, ke- I kept opening it uh, and then thinking to my like, I would like have something on the TV and be like, oh, what am I going to play on my switch? And then obviously like Octopath is maybe not the game to play while something else is on in the background. Um, so I'm kind of waiting for hopefully this week I'll have some time to like really sit down and, and dig into it and I'll, I'll play different characters than you picked and uh, we can we can reconvene. Yeah, please do. Everyone I've talked to also chose Oswald. He seems to be like the <laughs> like funny. I was trying to figure out who to play as in the yeah. stream. And the minute we got to Oswald, it was like, oh, man, like my my brand has solidified this choice. Yeah, it's like literally Jean Valjean. That's so funny. Yeah, I, I was probably going to pick the dancer. Um, I picked Tressa, yeah. who was the merchant in the first game. I really like starting these kinds of games in like very like humble nice towns yeah and having a story get progressively darker instead of starting dark and then being nice for a little bit and then getting dark again so i it's probably what i'll do yeah she seems to be the tressa of, of the bunch uh yeah. i definitely i've i have now seen what i can only imagine are the two darkest stories there's still <laughs> a little bit of like sometimes there's like that kind of like tonal imbalance of the first one not to the same degree like i mean the the thief story is pretty dark mm. but it's not quite to the same intense level as primroses was in the first game yeah i just wonder like you know i'm not against going to those dark places but it it can be kind of whiplash if like one story is like in a different game so i'm just curious how they're all going to intertwine and if like that's going to feel more meaningful than in the first game yeah i have heard and and we've talked about this on the show but i have heard that the actual like very literal end of octopath traveler one does a weirdly much better job of having all those characters like interact and and feel like they're on the same page i've heard that as well but that's like 80 hours yeah that's a thing i will never see myself (laughs) unfortunately um so if you can take any of that energy and put it in the first 10 hours i'm gonna be much happier yeah and and they seem to have done that so i i do i mean octopath was was a pretty uh modest hit for square and it was enough to get a sequel and like yeah this division of square doing like the live alive remake and triangle strategy like i'm always curious what they're working on because like they're they clearly like get it so well mechanically yeah and i'm just waiting for the other parts to catch up and it seems like and they also seem to have invested in not to be mean but like definitely a better voice cast than like the triangle strategy game Mm. so I'm, i'm happy to see that like i don't have to you know suffer through some of the voice lines but uh Mm. 
Yeah. I'll probably just play in Japanese. It's usually what I do with their stuff. That's what I was going to do. And then for the stream, like it might be funnier to have it in English, but then it was like actually pretty decent. So I'm like, oh, good. That's nice. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a nice They nice have surprise. some big names for the leads at least. So that's cool to see. Yeah. The Rock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Rock killed it as Oswald. Although what's funny is Oswald, like the man who took everything from Oswald is named Harvey. And I can yeah. never take it seriously when he's like, I swear one day I will make Harvey pay. It's like, why is, why'd you name him Harvey? It's so hard to take that seriously. Anyway, that's Octopath 2 for now. I'm sold enough on it to pick up the full game. Yeah. I want to see where it goes. Maybe I'll report back either way once I get further in. Yeah, I'm going to play all three hours of the demo and then figure out how I feel after that. I guess you could technically make a new game file and then do that again and see everyone if yeah. you're like really curious. But uh, I'm sold enough on it to be OK, like I'm enjoying it and I, I want to see where it goes. And the idea of like, again, if they can keep this up or elevate, I think it will be probably the best like one of these games pound for pound overall, which mm. is exciting. Yeah. Until Dragon Quest three comes out. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. And I still haven't played enough of the Live Alive remake, which I hear is wonderful. So man, it is so good. I really gotta get yeah. back to that. I yeah. I really loved what I played of that game. It was hard to make time for it last year because it was like I, I just I, I remember I started it and I chose what is largely considered to be the worst story. Which one did you pick? The feudal Japan one. Yeah, that one's pretty rough. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe I'll go back and start with a different one. But I, I've heard great things and I hear, you know, it's it's a beloved game that, yeah. you know, was never released here. You so. should, uh, I would recommend either starting in the Wild West or start with the martial arts instructor. Both of cool. those are unbelievable and honestly really good kind of introductory uh, characters. Yeah. Yeah. This one has like a stealth component, which like, is never good in these kind of games. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is pretty rough. If you're not a stealth game, you shouldn't have a stealth section. That's kind of what I've learned in, in my time doing this show. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can't wait to talk about Ocarina of Time later. <laughs> Agreed. The worst culprit of this is one of my favorite games, Gravity Rush 2. Why on earth is there a style section for a game that is about flying? Yeah. <laughs> like, come on. Know your strengths. It's really tough. Don't make me hide. Uh, let's wrap up. Let's wrap up. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Into the Cast.online is our central hub for all places to listen to the show. You can rate and review us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Some people have done that recently. Thank you so much. If you really like the show, you can support us on Patreon. We are in the final stages of preparing for our 3DS bonus. Uh, and that's going to be the last episode on the Patreon that is available to $1 patrons. So after that, we'll be moving to $5. So that will be sort of the, the finale of that tier. Um, and it will be available still for anyone who backs the Patreon for a dollar. Thank you so much to those who are able to do that. Yeah. Very excited to record that, um, especially like before the store is gone for good. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit daunting. Um, that's it. Uh, anything on the horizon? Anything you're excited about? Anything you want to add? Not particularly. I'm just kind of more, more excited to dig into a lot of the stuff that just released. Uh, yeah. I'm excited to play the Octopath demo. I'm excited to play more Metroid Prime Remastered. Yeah. Um, and I'm excited to play Daxter for the Sony PlayStation Portable. I also got Season... Uh, per your recommendation oh, yeah. last week. So I'm excited to play that. There's a, there, we're, I mean, it's only February and there's already a lot of great games coming out Yeah, acr across the board in terms of like retro or not, which yeah. is cool. There's a lot of good stuff coming at the end of this month. Also, neither of us played the Dead Space remaster, which got like glowing, glowing yeah. reviews, critically loved. I think people are like all about it. So 
Can't wait to get to that eventually. I want to save that for Halloween. That's kind of what I decide. Whenever there's a big horror game that comes out, I'm like, I'll save that for October. Yeah, that's what I've been thinking too. I think I'll, I'll yeah. probably put that on the back burner for a little bit. Um, but I, I am very excited to check it out. Yeah, me too. I, I played the first one on Game Pass a while ago and enjoyed it, but like that definitely feels like a good candidate for a remake. Mm. So I'm excited to see what they've done. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's it. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, yeah, Stephen just told you where to find us. We'll catch you later. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. See you soon. Garbage. The online.